Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Jill, how are you? So good. Hey, I listened to your podcast this morning with Dao Yi Chow. You killed it. Anyway, it was good, right? He was so cool. He's so cool. He's so cool. He's such a good interview. Um, yeah, that was a great episode. Thank you yeah. for the for the kind words. Today on this episode, we're going to be talking a bit about Louis Vuitton and Dior getting new executives and sort of the strategy that Bernard Arnault and, and LVMH uses to um, put their new leaders in place. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Stella McCartney posting some losses from last year, but also kind of why that could be and other things going on with Stella McCartney. And then finally, we will talk about Uniqlo's parent company, the Japanese company Uniqlo. Their parent company, Fast Retailing, is raising the wages of all their employees by 40%, um, which is a pretty big deal. And we'll talk about whether American companies should be thinking along the same lines. But let's start with LVMH. So like I said, LVMH has some leadership shakeup this week. Couple people are replacing other people. Michael Burke, who is the head of Louis Vuitton for several years, is being replaced by Pietro Bacari, who was the head of Dior for, I think, five years. He is being replaced. Pietro Bacari is being replaced at Dior by Delphine Arnault, who is the daughter of LVMH's owner, Bernard Arnault. And then Michael Burke, who is leaving Louis Vuitton, is going to stay at LVMH in just an advisory role, I think. They kind of sort of undisclosed exactly what he's going to do, but he's not out of LVMH. He's not, you know, it wasn't like a resignation or anything bad. He's just kind of transitioning out and is going to keep working with Bernard Arnault. Louis Vuitton and Dior are like the two biggest companies in LVMH's portfolio. Louis Vuitton makes up, I think, like two-thirds of their revenue or something like that, and Dior is the second largest after that. Um, so those two brands have been doing so, so well, and LVMH has been doing so well. Their shares are up like another 2% this quarter, and they're just flourishing beyond belief and have have become so dominant in the luxury industry. Um, so I have some thoughts about this, particularly Delphine Arnault coming in at Dior uh, and just sort of the Arnault family. Um, they're their, you know, tight control over the whole company. But um, Joe, what are your thoughts on sort of LVMH shaking things up right when they, you know, are doing super well and everything's, you know, it doesn't seem like a frantic, we need to figure this out kind of thing. It's more, it's very precisely planned. You know, this person is replacing this person who's replacing this person. They've got it all kind of, it seems very tightly under control. What do you think about that? Yeah, agree. I, it, this was not a surprise to anyone, it seems. Um, you know, analysts are really just saying, you know, this was expected or okay. <laughs> and um, like stocks mm-hmm. kind of had a nice little bump. It wasn't like something that was tragic. Um, and also, I just wanted to call out, it's interesting, some of the headlines, which can be misleading, where um, there was like, um, Bernard appointing his daughter Delphine to be CEO of of Christian Dior of Dior, and uh, of course, yes. But like, this isn't a nepo baby situation. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, but um, she's she was with um, Louis Vuitton for a, like a decade with Christian Dior prior for like another decade. These these folks within the family are born and bred. I guess they're bred into it. They've had the the experience, the training, the know-how at this point. Um, so yes, I, I like it. It was interesting to see the crossover from of Pietro from um, Dior to Vuitton because Dior has been booming, like so successful. It's like n- new buzz surrounding the brand. And at a time when, you know, uh, Virgil is no longer at Vuitton and like, 
and there probably I, I, there was an interesting report where um, Burke was almost credited with what um, Virgil is credited for, and they were of course you know the same company and collaborative. But um, one of the stories said um, that that Burke, the the outgoing CEO of Louis Vuitton, played a key role in elevating street style to the realm of luxury in recent years. Well, I don't know. They probably want to bring in somebody who has proven capability to grow a brand, bring over the CEO of Dior at a time when, you know, somebody who's proven. Like I, if I think that if Delphine stepped into the role um, immediately at Louis Vuitton, um, she she would doesn't have that proven capability and they really want to keep Louis Vuitton at its height with um, what mm-hmm. Virgil and others have built to date. That's my thought. What do you think? Yeah, no, you're right. It almost seems like there's kind of a stepping stone from, okay, if you do really well at one of these other brands, you can you can head up Dior. If you do really well at Dior, you can head up Louis Vuitton. And then if you do really well at Louis Vuitton, I don't know, you 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 get your own private island or something. Um, it does seem like they have, the, like I said, this very kind of um, um, clockwork, almost planned out series of successions. And I think that's an interesting contrast to, like, at Caring, there's been some kind of abrupt uh departures and you know it's not in the CEO role but Alessandra Michele left Gucci kind of seemingly really quickly and then their first show doesn't have a designer um also at caring Bottega Veneta uh, like I think that was last year or the year before Daniel Lee just left kind of out of nowhere um it seems like uh Louis or LVMH I keep mixing up yeah, Louis Vuitton and LVMH it seems like LVMH has a much tighter handle on who's going where and when and they can kind of sense when they need new leadership and they they prepare for it um to your other point you're you're right that Delphine has many many years of experience in fashion executive um business so it's not like she was you know plucked out of whatever just uh but I do think it's interesting that Bernard Arnault has five kids and four of them are executives at LVMH Brands um, with Delphine at, I think I have this all correct, Delphine at Dior, um, Antoine Arnault is heading up Laura Piana, Frederick Arnault is heading up Tag Heuer, and uh, Alexander Arnault, who I think is the youngest, is heading up Tiffany. So four of his five kids are executives at various LVMH brands. Um, He's getting a little older. I don't know if he might retire soon or what. But it definitely seems like with LVMH being such this massive, massive brand, I think one of Europe's biggest companies, um, he really wants to solidify uh, family control of the business. It's always interesting to see um, like a big family started or family owned business when it becomes this massive corporate public thing. And there's, you know, hundreds of other people who are now invested in it and stuff, Um, how they kind of handle that when it gets towards the uh, you know, the time when the original dynastic kind of founder is is maybe thinking about retiring. So um, it does seem like he's trying to get all of his kids kind of firmly in leadership roles to kind of keep it in the in the Arno family. You're right. Like if you take a snapshot of um, like this point in time and compare apples to apples, um, like Louis Vuitton, LVMH definitely seems to be the more stable of the carrying LVMH um, two giants within fashion. Um, one thing, and which I forgot about this, but whenever I heard about the Delphine news and moving to Dior, I was like, wait, didn't they just put somebody else ahead of Dior in last month? And um, Antoine Arnault, who's really being seen as like being 
again, groomed for Bernard's role eventually. Um, back in December, he actually moved on from Laura Piana to become the um, CEO of Christian Dior SE. Anyway, it's basically, it's not Dior. It's the holding company that um, mm. the family owns controls under LVMH. It's very confusing. So if you all are keeping track yeah. and keeping up with what we're saying right now, good for you. But anyway, it's all in the family, um, as you said. And um, yeah, there is a plan in place, it seems. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, he was at Laura Piano, but he's he's moved on. But you're right. They're still all in executive roles. And um, yeah, it's definitely very confusing, especially, I mean, I barely understand American corporate structure <laughs> sometimes. And, and then you get into the Europe and there's some, uh, there was something where LVMH restructured recently and there's some French term, literally, I don't even know it, that uh, like slightly changes the categorization of the company that will make it easier for the Arnaud family to kind of fend off hostile takeovers from other shareholders and stuff. So there's all sorts of complex, I'm sure there will be an amazing prestige TV series or something in a couple of years about this. Um, but yeah, that's what's going on at LVMH. And last thing is also luxury in general is just doing so well right now. And so many brands are kind of just like, booming and, and making a lot of money. It's interesting to see the, like you said, the companies that are maybe panicking a little bit or, or making moves that are sort of, um, not panicking, but making moves sort of haphazardly and, and compared to the just very um, methodical way that LVMH runs their business. Yeah, but um, we'll see. And everybody is kind of bracing for a worse 2023 than we've seen in 2022. And also, I mean, let's I'll take a beat because, yeah, a lot of what we're talking about on the the caring side is really um, like creative roles and like yep. what we're talking about is more like CEO, C-suite um, kind of executive roles. So this at the same time, I think that it does it. What we're saying is not wrong. But um, anyway, a little bit, a little bit different movement there. Yeah, definitely different. Um, speaking of, let's talk about Stella McCartney. So in uh, the company just said in their in 2021 that they lost around 32.7 million pounds, which I think is around $45 million. Um, that was kind of within a bunch of other financial stuff that they put out uh, for the last year. And the loss was blamed on lockdowns and disruptions from COVID-19. Like we were just saying, I think it's interesting because, again, it seems like a lot of other luxury brands are doing fine and actually boosted by the lack of um Lock, lockdowns and COVID related stuff, especially in China, kind of opening up. So what do you make of the 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 Stella news? And then we can go into a bit more of, you know, what else is going on with that brand? Yeah, it's it's kind of defeating. It reminds me of um because Stella McCartney is such a pioneer for sustainability and um it just it makes me think maybe like um a cust a customer who formerly shopped the brand uh, maybe would pay a little bit more to have something sustainable. I don't know that that's true, but it hints at some of this movement, movement, which is kind of like a cautionary tale or like it was kind of something to be expected where consumer habits are changing, priorities are changing. Um, we kind of have on our radar, like our, our brands maybe that had a sustainable or um, innovation lab, something that's really focused on these forward movements um, in the name of doing right and doing good? Like, are those going to be killed as they're pinching pennies? Um, so I don't know. I, I, I wonder if that something like that is happening here. Um, and you just want this brand to succeed because it's standing for good things. <laughs> and also being honest, like at the same time that this report came out, um, 
Stella McCartney came out with their annual report, which is kind of um, their environmental, I don't know what they term it or what they call it. The um, It's just weighing their um, impact on the environment um, and how that's compared to prior years. And it's it's an improvement, but they're very honest. We could improve here. Um, what we're how we're producing wool ain't good. We're gonna f- help. Fi- we're gonna fix that in the year ahead. Um, so anyway, that's just my take. Sustainable brand shucks. That sucks. And um, they were owing it to. Um, although I guess more money came in, they had higher expenses around um, restructuring employee stuff, administrative stuff. I believe. Yeah, so I I feel the same as you, where I kind of want to root for them. They they I, I feel like a lot of companies call themselves groundbreaking or trailblazing or whatever, but I do feel like Stella McCartney is genuinely a leader in that way. Um, she was a leader on not using fur, which now a bunch of other luxury brands are not doing, or on using alternative leathers. I mean, she's got a mushroom leather bag. Who do you remember the brand we talked about months ago who had a whole mushroom themed? like show at New York Fashion Week, but then the bags were not even actually made of mushroom. Yes. Um, I don't even it's remember It's driving me crazy now. Who the hell was it? Yeah, I, I forget. But uh, Stella McCartney has an actual mushroom leather bag. They they are leaders on a lot of this stuff, and I'm sure it's expensive, and that might be a contributor. Um, and But I often, I mean, like, I talk to a lot of designers who will bring up Stella McCartney as somebody that they look to or that they admire or that they try to emulate. Um, she's definitely, I think, someone that a lot of people in the industry look to for, um, yeah, kind of an example of how to be more ethical and how to go into some of these exciting new, you know, sustainability things. You mentioned restructuring. One big thing that they started doing was they took back all of their e-commerce stuff in-house from, I think, you because Net-A-Porte was running it for them and they like brought it back in-house. And I'm sure that was expensive and probably contributed to their, um, you know, higher costs and stuff in addition to, and, you know, and that adds up into that balance of, of losing, you know, a couple million dollars. Yeah. And it's interesting because this all kind of connects everything we're talking about today because it's not really under the LVMH umbrella, but um, LVMH is a my, has a mi- minority stake in the company in Stella McCartney as of 2019. Um, and the report is that Stella McCartney has been advising Bernard Arnault on, on managing sustainability. So I have a hunch there's going to be maybe some movement there in terms of um, maybe a McCartney role within the company or different mm. um, support from LVMH um, to kind of help further it along. We shall see. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely a good point. She And should be noted, uh, Stella McCartney was once part of Caring and then became independent. And now, like you said, has this relationship with LVMH. So yeah, we might see something more there. Let's talk about our final topic. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but Uniqlo, which is the Japanese company, their parent company called Fast Retailing, is going to raise all of its employees' wages by 40%, um, which is pretty huge. I was reading uh, Reuters had a really good report about how uh, Japan's salaries have really stagnated over the years, like literally since the 90s have not really raised that much. The average salary in Japan is under $40,000, which is pretty low compared to comparable other you know, other developed countries. Um, I think the average in general is like 50,000 or something for, um, I I don't know what term they use, but for Japan's the third largest economy in the world. So compared to other comparable nations like the US and parts of Europe, it's, it's pretty low. So the question though, for us, I think is that's more relevant is 
could this happen for American or European companies? Because it's great that fast retailing is doing this. Um, we at Glossy tend to focus a lot more on the the English speaking and and European world uh, of fashion. I this is something I felt have felt like a lot of fashion companies should do. Um, obviously, everything is more expensive, but that means that your employees are struggling to live, you know? So I think that this is something that they should consider. Um, Obviously, they're trying to cut costs wherever they can, but, I mean, your employees being able to eat dinner is not something to skimp on. So um, what do you think, Joe? Not sure if it's 40% for the whole company. I think that's kind of like at tops, but... Mm. Only because I'm saying that, um, I think that the um, new graduate or the people entering the company, um, or maybe this is only for new employees, um, like that that salary is going up 18%, um, which is going to be about, oh, I did the math, um, which again, to account for like inflation, I want to be like, oh, that's around what I made coming out of college. But it was like 27,600, which this day and age, I'm old. That's that's not a ton. <laughs> Let's say mm-hmm. that. Um, so it's good. I, I assume, you know, Uniqlo is a global company. Um, there was talk about um, different workers working globally or um, bouncing around. And it just didn't make sense anymore to keep this low wage. Um other companies within Japan, including including like non-fashion companies, but like Honda and um, a drinks maker mm-hmm. also increased their wages um, aggressively is the word. So um, they're catching up. And and I would just assume, you know, if costs are rising like they are in the States, like, like they are with fuel or gas and um, food, um, you know, maybe people aren't going to be so like, They'll, they'll change it up. They'll make drastic me- measures if it means if they go into a different company, even in a, a different industry. It's, I'm sure it's as competitive as it is here in terms of um, people poaching and going for some some smart folks in other companies. So anyway, and at the same time, it's not as easy. We're working from home to say, like, I just think we're working from home. People can work internationally. People can work everywhere. They'll just work somewhere in the States that pays more. It's not as easy as that, obviously. But um, I'm sure some of those, um, I, I don't know, some of those trends are really playing in here to whatever extent they can. Yeah, definitely. And and I'm sure, I mean, across the fashion industry, obviously, CEOs and executives are compensated extremely well. But I think for designers, models, photographers, especially garment workers, factory workers, the people who are like on the ground um, making this stuff, I think the is where the wages are particularly low from what I've heard. Um, but yeah, it I, I feels like at the same time, people are trying to cut costs. Like you said, there is more like labor competition. You know, people are often complaining that it's really hard to hire and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, one great way to attract more people would be to just pay them more. Um, But again, I know a lot of companies are kind of like looking over every single cent that they spend in their in all their spreadsheets and stuff and and don't want to spend any more than they need to. But do you think any American company might actually go this route after they, you know, presumably the Uniqlo thing will go well. Maybe that will be an example. Um, Who would you expect? Maybe not a specific brand, but do you imagine it would be a Uniqlo comparable company, like kind of bigger fast fashion E or fast fashion adjacent, maybe like a luxury higher fashion kind of brand might do it? What what do you think? Yeah, I think in the States, there are uh, among employees, among workers, Already for years, I think the expectation 
by your employer for your employer it has been higher so i don't think that you know workers are at a company for years on end without a raise or um they're staying put like they're making sh- shit happen because you know there's more conversation we have a a publication under the digital media umbrella called work life that would really like i don't we examine workers uh, challenges left and right all day so um, I think that there's more knowledge of what, you know, is possible and what um, companies should be accountable for, whether that means like an annual raise to account for, for inflation or um, like a bonus structure or something. So I don't think that it would really like come to this to have like such a huge um, swipe of, of wage increase across the company. Um, you know, I, I don't see it happening, actually, but... You know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I could see, uh, I was thinking a company like Patagonia where that's, you know, part of their whole deal is being super ethical and and um, not driven by profit maximization and all this stuff. Um, I could see someone like that doing it. But yeah, for it to go across kind of the whole market, I think would um, require either like, you know, a much more serious economic situation or um, more widespread like unionization and just collective bargaining would would maybe make something like that happen. But um, I don't know. I definitely think it's something, you know, like you said, a lot of companies are expecting that the next year and the next, you know, couple quarters are going to be really tough economically. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that will translate into kind of the labor side of the business. How much are people willing to spend on each employees? We're seeing a lot of layoffs, um, happen recently. There's been tons that we've covered on glossy quite a bit. Um, so I don't know. It definitely feels like a little bit of a scary time for kind of just the economy in general. Um, who knows what's going to happen? Any final thoughts on that before we sign off? Jill? Yeah, no, I agree. And it's definitely a different market in Japan. And you got to wonder if it's this tight, it's different um, inflation rates for, for the market. So it's like um, the average before 2022, I was reading is was 3% inflation. And in 2020. Two itself, it was um, like 3.9%, which I think that we've seen rates go much higher So than in prior years. So I think that if it was that tight and then you could push it a little bit more with inflation and that calls attention to it, that just kind of shows, wow, they're behind the times. Step up. But anyway, yes, let's, God, recession, we're all bracing ourselves and um, hopefully no more layoffs anywhere in the U.S., anyone we know. Keep your people if you can. <laughs> That's my sign. Yeah, up. I do think it's just a, it's a good thing to invest in. And and I feel like we said this on a previous episode, but with layoffs, it's, I don't know. Obviously, my, my sympathy is with the people who get laid off. But I also think even just beyond that, sometimes it's more of a short-term move where then a couple months later, you're like, great, we saved money on those salaries, but now we like don't have anybody. So um, definitely something to think about carefully before you do it. Anyway, I think we should stop there. Jill, thank you so much. It's always fun having you on the podcast. For those of you listening, don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast uh, because you will hear interviews with uh, various industry insiders. Um, I think this ne- the uh, next episode is with me, right? It is. The clear cut. Yes. Yeah, so the next episode of the Glossy Podcast will be hosted by me interviewing Olivia Landau, who's the founder of The Clear Cut, which is an online digital um, diamond and jewelry brand. And we talk a lot about all sorts of stuff related to diamonds. Anyway, if you subscribe to the Glossy Podcast, you will hear 
uh, my or Jill's interviews with people in the industry. Every Friday, Jill and I do the Week in Review, sometimes with other members of the Glossy team. And finally, if you like the Glossy podcast, you should recommend it to a friend and definitely consider giving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to this, because that really helps us out a lot. Thank you, Jill, and thank you for listening. Thank you.